You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Chapter 4. The Optimistic Mathematician. From the Journal of Abigail Gray. March, 1873, nine and a half years ago. The next morning we awoke to find our bones and joints aching from the coach ride and slumped downstairs for breakfast before being hurried to our first schooling lesson of the day. It was mathematics, which I've never been good with, but I saw with a surprising thrill that the blonde girl was filing into the same improvised classroom, which I believe had been a parlor some time previously. She smiled at me again, and I made a beeline to sit beside her. Sleep well? That all, you say? I say plenty. I'm Abigail. Uh, Abigail Gray, from Clearwater. Lucy. Lucy Weatherfield, from Buckley. Are you good at mathematics? Not to boast, but I'm a veritable sorcerer at mathematics. You like numbers? Never had much use for them. Well, that's a shame. You may struggle in this class, so I definitely won't write my answers with the paper all hanging out like this. Well, of course not. I'd be able to see. That will do, boys and girls. Class is beginning. And when we're digging in the gardens later, you definitely won't be doing most of my work with those strong-looking arms of yours. I would never. You'd make a habit of shirking responsibilities. That will do. Of course she let me copy her. And of course, when we were all being taught how to plant cabbages, I was the one doing the lion's share of her digging. But we talked whenever we were allowed. And boy, could that girl talk. It was the best kind of conversation, though. She would never just yak your ear off. She watched you, saw how you felt about something, and no matter how sad or angry you were, she would find a bright side. That afternoon, we found Joanna in floods of tears, huddled around a corner of the house. I picked my sister up and tried to hold her, but she was limp and shaking. What's wrong, darling? Um, I ain't cried this hard over nothing since that time it was something. It's too big. Nobody can fix it. Then why are you trying to hide something so big? What are you going to use to cover it? Pennsylvania? I don't... I don't think the world can get any better. At this, she buried her face in shame. And my own increased rapidly at the realization that I allowed my sister to fall this far. To get this low. While I chatted in the sun with Lucy. Why can't he get better, sweetheart? Because everything is broken now. I expected a speech about how things weren't as bad as they seemed. And my personal least favorite platitude, never mind. Grown-ups saying stuff like that can cram it up their asses. I will mind plenty, thank you very much. But Lucy didn't say that at all. In fact, she went the opposite route. You aren't wrong there, Joe. This world is in serious trouble. Things really are kind of broken down, and there's not just a big mess to clear up. It's more like 6,000 big messes. 6,000 problems. Right. And nobody, not one person, not a dozen people, not even a hundred people could clear up this big mess on their own, right? Not a hundred, no. But these messes aren't all in one place, are they? They're everywhere we look. 
A different one up north, a different one down south. Folks in countries you never heard of are in trouble. Yeah. Can I admit something to you? Yeah? I cried about this very thing last week. You cried? I did. Far worse than you. I had snot on my shoes. I had to throw them out. Too snotty. I was crying because deep down I wanted to fix all this stuff myself and I was just so, so frustrated that I didn't have the power to. Now that might not be why you're upset. No, it is. Then you know how it feels. But after I was done crying, I watched what the people around us were doing, what we're fixing. How are we fixing anything yet? All we do is sums and digging potatoes. We're fixing our world. The one within these walls. The only one of the 6,000 problems we really need to look at. That's the only one that matters right now. We're growing food. We're growing ourselves. Getting smarter every day. If what's outside scares the hell out of you, you focus on what's inside. That's something you can do. Am I right in my estimation there? We just... We just fixed this place? Yeah. Let others fix the rest. When we're given the chance to help out, we'll do just that. But we're no help to anyone, least of all ourselves, if we get crushed under the weight of worrying about everything. Nobody ever told you to fix everything. So you don't have to. Now me and Abigail are fetching water from the creek for the eastern carrot patch. We're late, and we're going to get in trouble, so we have to go do that. You can stay here and think about what you can do to help if you like, or... Can I help you? Why, sure you can. You can carry my pail. And with that, dragging her arm over her eyes and smiling, Joanna grabbed Lucy's bucket and walked with us to the creek. I'd met what I'd thought was this girl's type before, the relentlessly chipper and winsome kind who practically thrust their optimism down your throat until you choked. But the more time I spent with Lucy, the more I realized she wasn't hiding a nervous desperation to keep a smile on her face. She really was that hopeful, deep inside. It was intoxicating at times being around her. She was right and that everything outside the walls seemed dark and menacing now. But being close to that energy she had inside made me feel like things were going to be all right. I started to associate the times I felt like I was achieving something there at Weirwood with the times I was in Lucy's company. Every morning we had lessons in mathematics, science, English. The afternoons were more physical. And we learned from the adults Catherine had drawn to her the basics for self-sustaining survival. We learned how long a person could go without water before they would start making bad decisions, only a few hours in the heat of summer. What dirty water might do to a person's body. The importance of cleaning your food properly. How to grow. How to raise livestock. 
It was all geared toward the place we were in now. And over the years, as we ventured out in scouting parties, we would also be taught to hunt. Those of us who already knew some of these things found ourselves scoffing, but were soon called upon to impart our advice, and were put straight when what we had to say was hazy, or just plain wrong. And very few of us knew how to fortify a wall, or how to kill a goblin. That would all have to come later. My favorite moments were the hour at dusk between the end of working on the grounds and the dinner gong. One evening, Lucy and I sat with our backs to the cherry tree out on the front lawn. When do you reckon we'll get out of here, Abigail? I don't know, a year? Three years? Shouldn't take the army too long to kill a goblin or 7,000. You think... You think it's much more dangerous than fighting a man? Has to be. I mean, they got no weapons, but they're so much faster. They hide. They're lethal even when they're flopping around on the ground bleeding out. But the soldiers know what they're doing. They must do. Why, you got a daddy fighting in there with them? No, wait, your daddy's a lawyer. Is he both? It's not my daddy. Brother? You haven't told me you had a brother. Mm, Forget it. No, who is this mysterious soldier? His name is Jackson. Stonewall Jackson. Stonewall Jackson died in 63. I know, because my daddy was at the Battle of Chancellorsville. Fold again. You may not know numbers, Abigail Gray, but you sure as hell are good at remembering stuff. At that point, we spotted someone at the front gates and jumped to our feet. It was Catherine, and she was working various keys into the locks. Behind her was a cart laden down with fresh supplies, and her scout team sat atop it. But there was someone new among them. It was a boy. As the cart made its approach, Lucy and I leaned against the cherry tree and studied this new fella. Light brown hair, angular features, slender build. In fact, he looked like he hadn't eaten well in a while, but he was well-dressed and carried a pack with him. He glanced at us with sharp, clever, serious eyes as they rode by, and then returned to a quiet conversation with Catherine. We sauntered over. Miss Holloway, you going to introduce us to the new gentleman? Ladies, this is James Penrose. James will be staying with us for the time being. Charmed. And he's British. I remember feeling like Lucy was taking an annoyingly long amount of time with his hand, and I held out mine eagerly. When I looked into those eyes of his, it seemed as though they belonged in the head of someone considerably older. As we touched, there was a curious, tight, tingling sensation in my belly, and my heart jumped. I wondered what the hell was wrong with me. James, this is Abigail Gray and Lucy Weatherfield. Two ladies don't look nearly tired enough to have just done a hard day's work. Hey, we worked our fingers to the bone today. We just have youthful energy, so it balances out. I wanted to join in with Lucy's rambunctiousness, but somehow my mouth had got all tied up, and all I could do was nod. Then I found I didn't know whether to look at him or not. So I took to examining the card in great detail. You want us to show him to the dining hall, Miss Holloway? That would be very helpful. And tell Allison that he gets double portions for the next two days. Come along with us, William Shakespeare. That's very kind of you. But I'll be all right on my own. Nonsense. You'll be all right on your own, but you won't be a bundle of happiness. Come on, let us show you around. 
The boy stepped down from the cart, and Lucy took one of his hands, nudging him to take mine with the other, and we led him through the grounds and around the house. I could see him grow flushed as we passed other children. His glances were nonetheless bouncing from one place of interest to the next, studying them all. I felt his grip tighten as we passed the library. Are you much of a reader? Oh, most certainly. As we pushed in through the door to take in the side of the row after row of cherrywood shelves crammed to capacity with leather-bound books and interspersed with comfortable chairs, James let out a slow breath. You like it that much? It's yours. No, I'm kidding. I don't have the authority to give whole rooms away. You have been listening to episode 4 of Secret Rooms, The Optimistic Mathematician, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Joanna Gray, performed by Lyra Shaw. Lucy Weatherfield, performed by Theo Lee. Catherine Holloway, performed by Maya Santandrea. And James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw. Friday Morning, Smoking Gun, Clean Soul, Light Through, and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Many Soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Marty Hui, David Sheely, Kevin Vahey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joe Gasiga, Greg Downing, Tim Wazenski, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Luke Hatfield, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Shisham. Secret Rooms Definitive Edition is available in its entirety to own via Bandcamp, along with the rest of the audiobooks from the New Century Multiverse. So if you love the story, that is a great way of giving back. We also thrive on positive reviews. Costs a few minutes of your time, means the world to us. And it spreads the word. So you can post those on iTunes or on Amazon, where you can find the Kindle versions and the beautiful paperback editions of these books. 